Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. Yes, it is The Bill Press Show. I am clearly, clearly not Bill Press. I am Peter Ogburn. I am sitting in for Bill today here on a Monday, August 20th. So much to talk about today. So much to talk about every day. I, I know I start the show saying that every time that I host, but it's just I, I wasn't here for a couple of days last week. I was out of town. Uh, I was in South Carolina for a wedding, uh, a friend's wedding, and to, to, full disclosure, I didn't know the couple. They're friends of the family, we'll put it that way. And so it was outdoors. In August? In, in- August in South Carolina. Okay. Now- if you had the same reaction that I just did when I originally heard that, which was, oh, my God, I'm going to melt. Melt. You're going to be a popsicle burned and just a puddle. It's actually, I will say this, the breezes in South Carolina on the coast are wonderful. And they had it on an old plantation, which there's a whole conversation to be had about, like, the how they, well, like, let, let, let me put it this way. No, okay, okay, L- okay. Let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Seriously, I, 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 it's a little problematic, but also... That is like a thing in the South, right? Like they take these old plantations and they turn them into event spaces. Some of them, they're like museums dedicated to uh, like slavery in general. You get to see what happened. You get to see the brutality that was there. So like there are some that are better than others, but that's a whole separate conversation. But you're right on the water. There's like a creek, like a river Mm -hmm. that runs along. So you're right on the water. The breeze coming in. It's actually not that bad. And then the reception is held in like an old barn. It's like one of those rustic chic weddings. Very rustic. Like barrels. Yeah. Yeah. Except it's an air conditioned barn. Right. Except. The air conditioner was broken. The air conditioning broke. Ah, no. The morning of the wedding. So we went from this nice breeze outside to the sit down dinner inside and there was no air conditioning by the way, do they have the huge by the way, barn doors still? Ninety-seven degrees. No, down so there you did melt. Ninety-seven degrees on the day of the wedding, and I'm in a suit, 
everybody's looking. All the women, their makeup's running everywhere because you're you're sweating. They're sweating it off, of course. You look, I mean, and, and like all of a sudden you start to see the suits coming off, the ties coming off, the buttons coming down, the sleeves going up. Oh, what a disaster! Oh no. Did I hope that the couple contacts the venue and they get a hefty refund? I, I would assume that's going to happen. I, I just, but like, can you imagine? No. Can you imagine on a 97 degree day and someone going no. like, oh, hey, by the way, that giant, very heavy wedding dress that you're wearing, you're going to have to wear that inside of a bar, inside of a heat locker. Yes. We're going to have to put you inside of a, a, a I, barn with no air conditioning. I have a very vivid memory of one of my cousins who was married here in D.C. in August. I was a kid at the time. But she wore a huge ball gown with a million petticoats underneath. Yeah. And um, it was all indoors, but it was in an old, like, historic home slash, like, mansion type thing. And it was so hot that the bridesmaids were literally picking up the dress and fanning her with oh. it because she was about to pass out. Awful. 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 It really is. I mean, certainly no fault of the couple, but like, oh boy, that was just brutal. That was just brutal. And by the way, no cake at the wedding. They did, did they not, have like a donut? They did wall? ice cream. They did. They had a Ben and Jerry's cart, so you could go up and get as much Ben and Jerry's. I don't hate it. Part of me hates it, but also when the air conditioning is broken. And it's 97 degrees outside. You know what sounds really good? All the Ben and Jerry's ice cream I want to eat. Heck yeah. What flavors did you get? Uh, I like how you immediately assumed I got more than one. Oh, of course. If it's all you can eat, why would you not get more? You also are flavors? not wrong. I got the cookies and cream and I got the strawberry cheesecake. Shortcake thing. Oh, strawberry yeah. yeah. Shortcake. So good. It was a strawberry so shortcake. So good. That one yeah, is so yeah, good. Yeah. Cooled me right off. <laughs> On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, it is The Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. If you were not listening to the very beginning of the show because you're on a radio station or uh, however you're, you're viewing or listening to the show, you didn't catch the first couple of minutes, uh, I was just recapping my weekend. I was away in South Carolina at a wedding. Um the the chat room at YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, already chiming in on this about how it's it is fully wedding season, by the way. This is this is wedding season. Uh there were a lot of people out there. But we went to this wedding and the uh the air conditioning was broken in ninety seven degrees in August. Uh Greylock in the uh YouTube chat room just says, Don't get married, kids. I'm not gonna go that far. <laughs> I feel like that is an extreme reaction. That's an to extreme. This. Although I will say, if you never get married, you never have to deal with the possibility of the air conditioning not working in your air, your barn at 97 degrees in August. Just don't plan a funeral for a barn. Just, just on, in yes, August. Yeah. Yes, yes. That is the voice of Ray Rogers uh, running the board and keeping us between the ditches today as we. Uh, Plow through the news cycle, which uh, a lot that I missed, a lot that I wanted to talk about while I was away. 
I, I guess we have to jump into this because the chat room is already clamoring over it. And we're going to talk about this a lot more coming up with Zach Ford from uh, from Think Progress. He wrote about Rudy's Wild Weekend. Rudy Giuliani. Look, I've seen a lot of crazy, dumb things that politicians and lawyers for politicians and and spokespeople for politicians have gone out and done in the public eye, right? Like, it's, it's what this town is built on, okay? But what Rudy Giuliani is doing right now and the damage he might be doing to Donald Trump's case against or about, like, there was no collusion in Russia, I never told any lies, or I don't want to meet with Robert Mueller, and all of this. Rudy's the guy to go out there and fix things, right? That's essentially what you hire a lawyer to do. Duh. You hire a lawyer to fix your screw-up, or to clear your name, or whatever. And Rudy is doing such a bad job of it, it is literally unbelievable. So, we're going to spend a ton of time on this right now. We're going to come back to it, I promise. But he was on Meet the Press yesterday with Chuck Todd, who... Look, say what you will about Chuck Todd. He is not a very tough questioner, okay? He's not going to throw you a bunch of of hardballs that are going to th- knock you off of your feet, right? Like, he's a pretty friendly face to see on Sunday mornings, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. You're going to go in there, and you're going to be basically going to be able to just sort of, like, walk your way through it, okay? Unless you're Rudy Giuliani and you can't help yourself, you cannot help but just completely throw yourself into crazy world by trying to defend Donald Trump. Now, here's the issue. They're trying to defend the fact, or defend why, Donald Trump is not going to meet with Robert Mueller. They know, they've called it, we heard him call it a perjury trap a couple of weeks ago, which essentially means... They can't trust Donald Trump to go in there and actually tell the truth. He'll go in there and he'll tell something that's a, it's a blatant and obvious lie, and then boom, poof, you got perjury. Right. Like, just think about the phrase perjury trap for a moment. It makes no sense. It's like, you're going to ask me questions that will force me to lie. That will force me to lie. Right, exactly. That's because a po- you have something to lie about. Right. That's a polite way of saying, I'm going to lie, and they want to punish me for it. So... They dropped the whole curtain of perjury trap and this is for our own good and all that. Now they have a whole new argument. I want you to listen very carefully to how Rudy Giuliani talks about this on Meet the Press yesterday. And when you tell me that, you know, he should testify because he's going to tell the truth and he shouldn't worry, well, that's so silly because it's somebody's version of the truth, not the truth. He didn't have a, a conversation truth is about... Truth is truth. I don't mean to go like... I, no, I it isn't truth. Truth isn't truth. The president of the United States says, I didn't... Truth isn't I, truth. Mr. Mayor, do you realize what... I, I, no, I, no, no, no. This is going to become a bad don't, don't, do, don't, do, don't do this to me. Don't do truth uh, isn't truth Trump, to me. Donald Trump says, I didn't talk about Flynn with Comey. Comey says, you did talk about it. So tell me what the truth is. Don McGahn might uh, If you're such a genius, John McGahn, Don McGahn doesn't know. If that's the situation, okay. they have two pieces of evidence. Trump says, I didn't tell him. And the other guy says that he did say it. Which is the truth? <laughs> okay. I'll tell you what that is. That is someone who is out there defending their lies and their clients' lies. 
That I mean, that's it, very easy to see through, guys. This is not truth. Isn't truth? And I understand <laughs> that we live in a post-truth world. No, we don't. No, we do. No. Yes, we do. No. Donald Trump is president, Ray. Of sure, course we do. But there's still truth. It's the same thing as Giuliani no, no. saying that there's no truth. No. Just because there are two stories doesn't no. mean that there isn't the truth. No, you're wrong. We are in a post-truth world. Okay, which tweet is us different and let than, us know. Hang on, that's different than saying that there is that truth is not a thing. Let me finish what I'm trying to say. That truth is truth. Yes. Yes. But we live in a post-truth world. You could go out there and you can say whatever you want to say, and you can spin it that way, which is what Donald Trump has done. But my point is that if Rudy goes out there and immediately tries to turn this into a he said, he said, he's lost the argument. He has completely lost the argument. You, This is, this is Bill Clinton. You remember the famous meme of Bill Clinton? It depends on what your definition of the word is, is. We still remember that. Like, it's like Washington, D.C. is built on the post-truth world. Spinning things into your like your direction and what you want to make it. It like, yeah, yes. And again, if you want any proof that we do live in a post-truth world, Donald Trump is the president of the United States. Full stop. So like truth isn't truth is kind of true if you're Donald Trump, if you're Donald Trump. Now, this is where everybody else comes into play, right? This is where this is where uh, the media has to step up. And Chuck Todd, by the way, did not do a great job there. Oh, this is going to turn into a meme. I feel like he was just so incredulous he didn't know what to say. That's <laughs> also fair. Like, what do you I, say? I don't know what I would say to somebody if they said that to me straight-faced. That's what I mean. And yeah. then they sit there and they keep defending it. It's like, what? Do you say? Yeah. I mean, the media's got to step up and the media's got to say, like, no, no, no. Here, here is the truth. But I mean, look, if, if I'm just if I'm just getting right down to brass tacks here, we don't know what Mueller knows. We don't know what Mueller's truth is, right? So, like, Robert Mueller is let me let me put it let me put it in comparison this way. Robert Mueller is not the kind of guy who's gonna go on Meet the Press on Sunday and start throwing around things that may or may not be true, that they then have to go back and walk back the next week and then the next week and then the next week and then the next week, which is how Rudy Giuliani operates, which is how Donald Trump operates, which is how all of these people operate. Again, we're going to talk about this more with Zach Ford from uh, Think Progress who wrote about this just completely insane line, right? Like, I've said this before. Uh, this is what Donald Trump's real skill is. Manufacturing a story. Manufacturing his version of the truth. Manufacturing his side of what things should be. And if the media lets him get away with it, we're toast, guys. We are toast. We are completely toast. Find us on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. I'd love to get your comments on this. Get them in now so that we have them for whenever Zach Ford comes in, um, uh, who will be here in about 15 minutes or so, and we'll we'll talk about your uh, your comments 
there about Rudy Giuliani proclaiming that truth is not truth. <laughs> what a world. <laughs> what, a, what a world we live in. Uh, okay, so the other story I wanted to talk about is everybody losing their minds over John Brennan losing his security clearance. Now, this is an obvious deflection from the Trump administration of, uh, away from all the other stuff that they have going on, take your pick, <laughs> Mueller, Stormy Daniel, I mean, take your pick. There's a million things they want to deflect from, right? But they wanted to deflect from all of that, and so they changed the narrative by taking away John Brennan's security clearance. Uh, let me, first of all, I want to play the clip of Donald Trump talking about uh, John Brennan, and he just says he has no respect for the guy. I've never respected him. I've never had a lot of respect. By the way, neither have I. Screw John Brennan. I don't feel bad for John Brennan at all, but I'll, more on that in a moment. Uh, also, William McRaven wrote a blistering uh, uh, sort of op-ed, a short op-ed for the Post. He was the former admirable admiral who's the guy who, more than anyone, is responsible for killing Osama bin Laden. He's the guy that orchestrated that whole whole thing. He wrote an op-ed saying, hey, revoke my security clearance too, and Donald Trump has to admit he doesn't know who he is. I don't know him, McRaven. I know that I've gotten tremendous uh, response from having done that because uh, I mean, security clearances are very important to me. I feel like he's trying to what? throw an insult by saying, I don't even know who you are. Like, that's how insignificant you are. But it actually plays to show just how ignorant he is. Hot take. I actually think he has no idea who William McGrave no, is. No, I think that he has no idea either. And yeah. I think that he's trying to insult him, but it's not working. Yeah, I just, I, I mean, uh, oh, God. But look, you know what? Take away McGraven's clearance, too. I don't care. Who cares? Our friend uh, Libby Watson actually wrote, wrote a great piece about this for Splinter News about why we cannot resist lionizing these national security goblins. You know who John Brennan is? John Brennan killed a ton of innocent kids, men, and women, okay? I know we have to act like we're in awe of John Brennan because he worked for Barack Obama, but let me tell you, the number of innocent civilians that John Brennan killed with his drones, not good. So, yeah, take away his security clearance. I don't care. That being said, it is clearly an abuse of, of Donald Trump's power and authority to go around taking, taking these security clearances away. Both things can be true. Okay? I think John Brennan is a bad guy. But also, Donald Trump trying to get a political advantage by taking away his security clearance is also pretty crappy. Both of those things can be true. Uh, also, when you talk about these guys like McRaven and Brennan and Clapper, another, you know, another guy who has, has sort of, uh, his name has been kicked around as possibly lo losing his security clearance. I'm going to read directly from CNN. The bomb used by the Saudi-led coalition in a devastating attack on a school bus in Yemen was sold as part of a U.S. State Department sanctioned arms deal with Saudi Arabia. All right. Yay, America. Good job. 
Good job. Just add it to the list of the many nefarious things yeah. that the U.S. has done and to by propel the way, war. And by the way, by the way, I will say, you, I, I've been very critical of CNN uh, and the way that they do news coverage many, many times. They absolutely knock this out of the park. They put up a graphic of a ton of the different bombings around Yemen. How many civilians were killed? And who manufactured the bombs that killed those people? In Sada, unknown number of casualties. Bomb manufactured by Lockheed Martin General Dynamics. Mastaba, 97 civilian casualties. Raytheon. Sana'a, 155 civilian casualties. Raytheon. Made right here in the good old U.S. of A. Where many D.C. residents work. I mean, these are huge defense contractors in the area. It, you would be hard-pressed to go to a bar and talk to five people. I guarantee yeah. half of them would work for Lockheed or Raytheon. Yeah, any, any of those groups. Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting. Or booze. Sure, sure. When I, sure. When I first came uh, to D.C. and I was working in a local media market, and we used to run ads on our morning show for Lockheed Martin and Raytheon, and I was thinking to myself, What do we do? Like, how is that? What are we advertising? How? Who are we trying to hit? And I realized, like, no, it's not about hitting, you know, the parents taking their kids to school or the commuter that's on his way or her way to, you know, their pencil pushing job or whatever. Like, we are we are trying to hit politicians to give more money to these. Talking about weapons of mass destruction, manufacturers of weapons of mass destruction, right? Yeah, in America. So, a little bit of background on this story, by the way. Barack Obama ha- had said uh, no more of uh, uh, of these sales of precision guided uh, military technology to Saudi Arabia, uh, and he cited human rights concerns. Barack Obama pff, got done with it. Lo and behold, in March of 2017, boy, they didn't wait. They didn't wait long after Donald Trump got inaugurated. Two, three months. March of 2017, the ban was overturned by the Trump administration's then Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. So, we are selling precision weapons of war to Saudi Arabia. Who are then turning around and bombing civilians in Yemen? But look, how many civilians have we killed with our drones and our military precision military strikes? How many people have we personally? I'm not talking about the bombs that we've sold to other people. I'm talking about we pushed the button to kill civilians in the Middle East. It's part of our American tradition. It's part of our American pastime. So, look, as far as I'm concerned, John Brennan doesn't need a security clearance. William McRaven doesn't need a security clearance. None of these guys need a security clearance. But for Donald Trump to play politics with it is a little gross. I think both of those things can, in fact, be true. So think about that next time John Brennan John Brennan, I, I, he was on, I think he was on ABC's This Week, where he talked about um, 
you know, the abuse of power, the, the clip from John Brennan where he talks about that abuse of power uh, that Donald Trump is using. This is yet another example of his egregious abuse of power and authority. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. But also, give us your security clearance. <laughs> you know? Uh, another story I wanted to talk about. I, this drives me crazy. I, I hate that we have to talk about it, but we do actually absolutely have to talk about Michael Avenatti. So, so a couple weeks ago, last week, I guess, we were talking about Michael Avenatti was in Iowa, which every presidential candidate has to go to Iowa, South Carolina is another early state. They'll sometimes go to Florida, but they'll, you always go to New Hampshire as well. Oh, 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 look who was there over the weekend. It was Michael Avenatti himself, the attorney representing Stormy Daniels, has openly said that he is thinking about running for president and thinks that he can, in fact, run for president. And by the way, if you want to hear a talk more about that, we put a podcast up over the weekend. We didn't have time to talk about it uh, during the week last week, but we put a podcast up uh, with Amy Parnes from The Hill, who co-wrote the book Shattered with her buddy John Allen. Uh, she wrote a piece about one of his messages, which goes directly against what Michelle Obama said. Michelle Obama famously said, when they go low, we go high which did not work out very well for Democrats. And Michael Avenatti said, when they go low, no, we, we hit them right in the face. We, we hit them back. We hit them hard, which is I think is right. I think is correct. I wish it wasn't Michael Avenatti who understood that. I wish it was like one of the actual front runners for the Democratic nomination in 2020 who got that, but point aside. So Michael Avenatti in New Hampshire talking about um, – who the candidate should be, why he is more qualified uh, than any other candidate. He admits, I might not be the best candidate, but we tried that in 2016. If the Democratic Party proceeds to nominate the person that would be the best president, that is going to be a mistake because we had that individual back in 2016. Michael Avenatti, you had me with your first comments. I, I don't think that the reason that Democrats lost in 2016 is because they put up the best person who would be president. I don't think that if they put up the best person who would be president in 2020, that they would also lose that election. It's not that easy. Right? So we find someone super qualified that we know would be a good president, or we feel very strongly would be a good president. And we shouldn't nominate them? I don't I don't follow the logic. I just don't. <laughs> like I like I, I said the same thing. Like I think I think Hillary Clinton would have been a pretty decent president. She was not a very good candidate. And you can separate those two things out, but that's not what he's talking about. I don't I, I don't know about this guy. I sort of feel like he's just tossing his name in there. And I talked about this before. This gets a little bit tin, tinfoil hatty. But um, I like it. Maybe he's just doing this so that he can keep Stormy Daniels and himself in the news cycle because it's losing steam. Um, maybe. Like, I, I, think I, mean, I wouldn't he, put it past him. I feel like he knows that this isn't actually going to lead to him being a front runner in any any state. 
Um, yeah, that. I mean, I, I, again, that might be a little tinfoil hatty. I, I, I wouldn't discount it at all. He's a lawyer. He's a lawyer, and I feel like they understand the PR machine and the news cycle and how to stay in it. Yeah. That's yeah, all that I'm saying. That's fair. I mean, look, here we are talking about Michael Avenatti. Exactly. Right? So that's a, that's a very fair point. I just, it, you know, it's tough. I saw someone write about how the media is falling directly into the same sort of trap that we did with Donald Trump of treating Michael Avenatti like he's not a real candidate. And I struggle with that, right? Like, I think it's so funny because last week we asked probably five different political reporters, should we take it seriously? And they all was like, yeah, we have to take it seriously. Which I agree, you kind of have to take it a little bit seriously, but also you don't have to take everything he says as gospel. Like, I think that was sort of a, a, a the wrong line to take. I do think that he's right about the when, we, when they go low, we we meet them on the low road. <laughs> Because <laughs> if you just ignore them as they take the low road and we just try and go higher, it doesn't always work. It well, it's difficult to appeal to someone's rational side when the rational like part of the political consciousness has yielded to the emotional side. Sure. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, So much more to talk about today. I do want to play this clip talking about uh, – all the all the great work we've done here in America. I missed the Andrew Cuomo stuff that he got in trouble for it last week, which honestly is more funny than anything. Andrew Cuomo, I, I don't, I can't think of anybody who's had a life filled with more privilege than Andrew Cuomo. Grew up in a political dynasty, skated his way to the governor of New York. And now is doing everything that he can to stick his foot in his mouth and try and screw up this race. It's amazing. So he's, this is what he said last week. We're not going to make America great again. It was never that great. <laughs> we have not reached greatness. I mean, okay. I don't disagree. Okay, yeah, I couldn't talk about this on air with Bill because he didn't want to touch it, obviously. And his take was just that this is political suicide. I agree with that. It is political suicide. You are so dumb to be the governor of New York and to say this. But, look, we're a country that was founded on the ideals of slavery and yeah. genocide and everything else. I'm not saying America can never be great, but... Look, the, this idea that... Uh that america is not a great country sure it's not a great country we got a lot of problems we got a lot of good things too we got every a lot of country does anywhere but that there for are andrew humans. cuomo to be the guy to come out and say agree like come on dude america has been pretty good to andrew cuomo you know like and i understand everybody's got their own struggles i'm not trying to say like but like you got a lot of money dude you're doing just fine. You you just like you you used your dad's name to get to be the governor of New York. Just to play a little bit of Devil's advocate, and I don't even necessarily believe what's about to come out of my mouth. But like, do you think that he is trying to extend empathy? Because this is an argument that you can see floating around any like left. Oh yeah, no, sphere. totally. Um, but maybe he is just trying to say that yeah, maybe he grew up rich and maybe he had the world handed to him on a silver platter, but. That he's acknowledging that this country hasn't been that great for the majority of Americans. 
I, I understand that, and I think that that's probably, I mean, that's the correct sentiment, but I didn't really hear that. Yeah, I mean, he didn't flesh it out, and also he was immediately met with booze, as you can hear there, yeah. so I'm sure that he got timid. Sure. It actually reminds me of when Hillary was on the campaign trail, and she was talking about shutting down the coal mines. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But then the next sentence that she said was, or the next few thoughts that she talked about were, creating more jobs in like sustainable energy and helping to retrain these workers so that they could go out and get new jobs. But people just stopped at the sound bite of we're going to shut these coal mines down. As she's talking to coal miners, it's so dumb. Which is, I mean, you've got to be better. You've got to be better. I agree. Like as a communicator, when you want to be president of the United States, which he certainly does. It's all about delivery. It's uh, optics, as they say, are everything. And the delivery on that was poor at best. Not great. (laughs) Not great. We're going to take a very quick break. We'll be joined by Zach Ford. He is the LGBTQ editor for Think Progress. Also uh, got into the the wacky world of Rudy Giuliani over the weekend. Uh, We're going to talk about that after a very, very quick break. Stay tuned. We will be right right back. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show, 35 minutes past the hour. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Thank you for tuning in. Remember, we are on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. I am also tweeting at Peter Ogburn, but I, I occasionally tweet at Peter Ogburn. Uh, don't forget, uh, Ray Rogers is out there with her secret with their secret Twitter account, if you could find it. It's really not worth your time. <laughs> I think that there are six tweets still. I just like the Easter egg that that you have a Twitter account. And if anybody <laughs> can find it, let us know. Uh, and you can follow our, our guest right now uh, in studio, Zach Ford. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Zach Ford. Uh, it's Z-A-C-K-F-O-R-D, not the H, the K. Uh, so make sure you are uh, following him there. Hey, Zach, how you doing, buddy? Hey, hanging in there. <laughs> we were talking off air. Like, I, I've got to get out of the habit of saying to people, how's it going? How you doing? Because especially with progressives, it's always like, eh, you know. Hey, I'm alive, I'm awake, and I'm ready to start the day. I appreciate that. Uh, you are the LGBTQ editor for Think Progress, but you wrote a story that caught my eye over the uh, weekend, which is Everybody saw it. It's it's what Rudy Giuliani said on Meet the Press. I want to play that full clip of Rudy and uh, Chuck again? Todd's. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. You're going to have to hear it again, Zach. I'm sure you've already heard it 25 times. But here is Rudy Giuliani talking to Chuck Todd from Meet the Press. Uh, and, and, and they're talking about Don McGahn. Uh, there's a New York Times story that says that Don McGahn had given, what, like 30, 30 hours of interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, to Robert Mueller's investigation, which is a huge story, by the way. I don't think that enough people are, like, losing their minds over that. It's a big, big deal. Uh, but Rudy sort of talked about what that could possibly mean. And when you tell me that, you know, he should testify because he's going to tell the truth and he shouldn't worry, well, that's so silly because it's somebody's version of the truth, not the truth. He didn't have a, a conversation about... Truth is about, truth. I, I don't mean to go like... I, no, I it isn't truth. Truth isn't truth. The President of the United States says, I didn't... Truth isn't I, truth. Mr. Mayor, do you realize what... I, I, no, I, no, no. This is going to become a what, bad don't, don't, do, don't, do, don't do this to don't me. Don't do this don't to me. Donald Trump, to me. Donald Trump says, I didn't talk about Flynn with Comey. 
Comey says you did talk about it. So tell me what the truth is. Don McGahn might uh, If know. you're such a genius, Don McGahn, Don McGahn doesn't know. If that's the situation, okay. they have two pieces of evidence. Trump says, I didn't tell him, and the other guy says that he did say it. Which is the truth? I think that is amazing. It, you know, first of all, if you listen to Giuliani say anything at all ever, I'm sorry you've made a bad choice in your life. Fair. Right? His whole goal is to just spew gobbledygook so that yeah. you think what you're hearing about all of this is more complicated than it is, and you kind of doubt, like, oh, like, maybe there is this whole conspiracy witch hunt against Trump and that all these people, like, that just assume that Trump was in the wrong have Trump derangement syndrome. So I'm sure that as soon as that interview was over, Trump was like, hey, good job. That truth isn't true thing was great. Yeah. Right? Like, yes. Trump loved that. Of course he did. Trump loved that. Um, because anything that sows doubt and confusion helps them. Um, but you know, this, this was a clunker, right? This was, uh, as Eugene Robinson said in the panel afterward, like this is the new alternative facts. This yeah, I was going to say new Trumpism kind of thing. And it's the, one of the most Orwellian ones yet. When you flirt with this, with this type of, uh, crazy defense, right? These insane memes, as Chuck Todd put it, uh, but these insane phrases then become part of our vernacular, right? The alternative facts, the Bowling Green Massacre, the truth isn't truth. Hell, I'm old enough to remember it depends on what your definition of the word is, uh -huh. is, yeah. that Bill Clinton used with the Monica Lewinsky stuff. So, like, part of it is trying to be a little too cute with what's going on and trying to be smarter than the interviewer. And then you end, you end up just, like, completely screwing yourself. Truth isn't truth is going to be one of those things that's going to be around for a long, long time. I, I think so. And especially once we start hearing yeah. some truths uh, <laughs> yeah. from from the Mueller investigation. And we see, you know, like, what what did Don McGahn testify for 30 hours about? You know, uh, the, 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 the nut of that story that I think people have missed is that Trump doesn't know the difference between right. his White House attorney and his personal attorney. And, of course, he sent his personal attorney out to throw his White House attorney under the bus. But his White House attorney doesn't have attorney-client privilege in the same way a personal attorney does. And so there could be a lot of interesting things in that testimony. Uh, I, I, all that being said, up to this point, and I said I, I think we do live in a post-truth world at this point. Right. Well, I mean, truth is up to, uh, you know, a majority opinion based on how many likes it gets on Facebook. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, like, whether or not the actual truth is going to come out, we'll see. Right. Like, we've got time for that to all work itself out. But for now, the truth is whatever Donald Trump says it is, because it's just one side. Robert Mueller is not going to go on uh, Meet the Press and bark about the truth that he knows. Right. And so it does matter how long it takes because the longer that this yep. permeates and ferments among the public, the harder it is for whatever Mueller says uh, to be proven, to be true, for people to soak it in and actually believe it. So what, what the hell is Rudy doing? Because not just from this interview. I mean, I mean, big picture, what is Rudy doing? Because like he's had to go out and correct himself at least like three pretty notable times. Uh, where he said something that had to come back and say, like, oh, that was actually wrong. Well, well, one of the things we know is if you share something that's false in a news story and yeah. only debunk it later in the story, people are more likely to remember and believe the first part yeah. that was that was false. And if you look at something else that Rudy said in this interview, he's talking about that 
infamous Trump Jr. meeting in Trump Tower with Natalia Veselinskaya. And, you know, there have been so many different versions of this story told. And so, you know, first, did Donald Trump know about it? Did Donald Trump dictate the statement? Was it about adoption? What, you know, all of these things. And and Giuliani was sowing another one. He said, oh, they didn't know that she was Russian. And, oh, she we don't even know yet that she's connected to Russia. Well, she admitted a few months ago that she's an informant. Besides the fact that we knew that, you know, the intelligence agency was one of her clients way back in the fall. So he's, again, just sowing more confusion about these things that, like, we there should be a simple version of the story, but there are so many details related to how it's been told that we lose track of what what the point of it is. Here's a little bit of a hot take. What was the woman's name again? Uh, Natalia Veselnitskaya. God, man. I practiced it before I came in because I knew we'd talk about it. (laughs) But, like, their defense is that, oh, Donald Trump Jr. had no idea that she was Russian. And her name once more is? Natalia Veselnitskaya. Okay. I don't know much. I'm I'm a simple man. But that sounds like – but if you tell me that that Donald Trump Jr. didn't know, I believe it. Mostly because Donald Trump is a complete moron. But see, here's where you're not giving Giuliani enough credit is he anticipated you saying that. Because in that interview with Chuck Todd yesterday, he said, all they knew was she had a Russian-sounding name. (laughs) Yeah. Right? So, like, again, just trying to, you know, obfuscate as much as possible uh, to to sow that doubt and and make the American public think that there's this whole system rigged against Trump. How do you think Chuck Todd handled that truth isn't truth moment? I mean, probably better than some would. I mean, yeah. he directly called it out. But, you know, Rudy Giuliani is just a, a train that's left the station and doesn't care if there are tracks. Right. And so, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, you can you can try to, to stop him, but he's just going to keep spewing. So the only way to, like, actually deal with it is to not have him on in the first place uh, or to cut him off at, at when it happened. And neither of those things happened, so yeah. I don't know how much credit – we can really give Chuck Todd journalistically for it. The the other the other part of the interview that I think got buried and and wasn't isn't what we're talking about as much, but it probably should be. This is something Ray and I have talked about multiple times off air. Um, Giuliani admitted that the reason they had that now that that meeting in Trump Tower in 2016 was to get damaging information about Hillary Clinton. Uh, Donald Trump himself has admitted that so they have just gone out and admitted to collusion that that is collusion right i mean I'm, am i crazy well they're not admitting to collusion because they're still denying that they knew it was russia okay. that they were colluding with but yeah like their whole point was oh they had dirt and of course we had to like take the meeting because we want all the dirt that we can get which so now the argument is going to be folks of course we colluded with them we had to stop Hillary Clinton from being president. This is what we had to do. Do you not understand? If we hadn't done this, she would have been president. And we've talked about this many, many times. That's going to be – that's the next turn. When it comes down to the fact that, like, okay, all right, it's now finally been proven. We knew they were Russians, and we were getting information on them. And someone's going to say, hey, that's collusion. You just admitted to collusion. that The Trump administration will easily get back to just saying – Oh, of course. Well, of course, of course it was. We had to. I mean, they're almost there. Yeah, you see the seeds of this already being planted on his Twitter. Like just um, 
on August 19th, so that's yesterday, he tweeted, no collusion and no obstruction except by crooked Hillary and the Democrats. All of the resignations and corruption yet heavily conflicted Bob Mueller refuses to even look in that direction. What about the Brennan, Comey, McCabe struck lies to Congress or crooked's emails? <laughs> well, I think it's even closer than that because they've already been saying for a couple of weeks, we didn't collude, but if we did, yeah, but if we did, it's not a crime, <laughs> right? And right. that's that's a whole different conversation that we need to have. But I, I think you're totally right. They're already preparing yeah. for you know we're we're losing this fight over whether we colluded, but we have to win this fight that it doesn't doesn't matter. So they're already they're already planting those seeds. So then what? So then once they go down that path and then they admit to collusion, but they did it because they had to. Well, you know, I think the hardest thing, and and I, I I don't have an answer, and I doubt you have an answer, and I don't I don't know if anyone does. Is this this Overton window just keeps moving, and our idea of what's normal and what we should expect and what the standards you know of operation yeah. should be just are are escaping us faster than we even realize. And so, there's going to be a point where there's going to be a lot of big bombshells beyond what we already know, and I don't know if we're going to know how to process it. I don't know if we're we're going to have any of those those guideposts left to say, oh, we this won't. Is- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We just won't. Yeah, I have a bad feeling. I, I, I have a bad feeling that Ray is a hundred percent. Yeah, right on that. yeah. I'm I'm trying to not embrace like total cynicism. That's that's my daily struggles. I'm when people ask how am I, I'm not a total cynic yet. Right. Uh, so I'm I'm hoping that there's something that we can latch onto. But that's that's the thing is they they're they are the ones moving it by sowing all this doubt. And if we're not ready to be like, hey. None of this was okay before <laughs> before this doubt was placed, and it's not okay now. Oh man! Oh my God! Yeah, I, I mean, look, it's it's it feels like we are just bracing for the worst when it comes. Like that's that's something that I think some people wrote about early on. What if Robert Mueller does his whole investigation? He comes back, he in, in, gives a scathing report on the. Uh, bad things that Donald Trump and his campaign did and we collectively as a country and as a governing body go eh. well i i have every reason to believe that's how republicans in power will act because that's how they've responded to everything so far they care more about keeping power than they do about the integrity of our you know democracy so why would they care doesn't help them Fair to care point. do you think that we can draw I mean, I'm not trying to say that, like, the Republicans are pedophiles or anything like that, but we can kind of draw a parallel with how the Catholic Church has responded to this massive report coming out of Pennsylvania, right? Like, it doesn't matter. And they'll give 24 hours of critical silence, and the Pope will talk about the collapsing bridge in Italy. And then after 24 hours, after he sent his first true message— then he'll come out and say, we need to do everything that we can to make sure that this doesn't continue. But you already said more than enough in 24 hours of silence. Sure. Well, and, you know, what the Pope has said was not an apology, was not a call to action. It was just a call for accountability. It doesn't necessarily guarantee that they're actually going to change anything to keep it from happening exactly. again. And certainly we already know that they haven't because right. this isn't right. the first report of its kind. It's just the biggest report of and its kind. And maybe this is like uh, a working theory of power, right? Like this is just how it will go. Exactly, yeah. yeah. People who have power want to hold on to that power. You, well, you actually wrote about the this this uh, uh, story out of Pennsylvania, the widespread, rampant child abuse. 300 different priests in Pennsylvania, uh, at least 1,000 different kids 
Um, s- some of them had uh, some of the the priests who had been moved. There was a guy who was in charge in uh, Harrisburg who's now been moved to Indianapolis. He had his first service over the weekend and sort of said like, "Hey, I did nothing wrong here. I you know I did what I was supposed to do." Um, a gr- by the way, a great tweet from over the weekend. Tommy Chong from Cheech and Chong says, Pennsylvania is the state that had me incarcerated for nine months because I shipped a bong across <laughs> state lines. He went to jail. He went to actual prison for nine months because he shipped a bong across state lines. And if we took child abuse as seriously as they did that, hmm. I I don't there's not much you can say except obviously it's bad and but like you know I'm an out and proud atheist and there are a lot of reasons for it but I think it's because of the harm yeah. that these structures can also uh perform when you give them undue trust and I think uh the Catholic Church is the epitome of that uh and there need to be some very real reforms and i i was really encouraged by the calls to have all of the bishops resign in mass which is actually something that happened in chile uh just a couple months ago they had their own sex abuse scandal there because it's not a unique problem to pennsylvania or boston or right. the other places it's come out and all 34 bishops in chile uh resigned uh together and so i i think that that's a that would be a really dramatic and interesting uh, thing if it could happen in the U.S., but it's not going to. It's not it's going gonna, to happen. Spoiler alert, it's <laughs> absolutely not going to happen. But, like, look, there are still going to be people that go out there and defend the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, people are still going to uh, are, are going to go to church. Uh, and, and until someone stands up and, and really makes the call that there would be either major reforms or whatever, it, this is not going to change. No. What, this is what, not going to change. One of the biggest challenges, I think, is that Anytime you say anything critical of a religious organization, yeah. uh, people's impulse is to take that as a personal attack on their beliefs. And we need to move sure. to a place in the country where you can have a conversation about things happening within a religious organization that don't necessarily define everything about it. And so there's a difference between how you feel about your beliefs. There's a difference between about the charitable work that the Catholic Church does. And then there's there's other parts of the structure sure. that allow for this kind of abuse. And you have to be able to distinguish yes. between those things and have some heavy conversations about this part of the Catholic Church is doing some good stuff. But the structure as a whole is still allowing for this bad stuff. And if you're not okay with this bad stuff, you can't just say it's canceled out. Right, you actually right. have to change the structure to keep the bad stuff we from happening. We feed the homeless. We we like we help people. We do we work here. We do these things. But also we cover up child sexual abuse. Right. And if you, the other thing is that the Catholic Church is one of the few hierarchical, non-diplomatic religious organizations mm. left, right? A lot of the Protestant organizations have councils and things like that so that lay people have the opportunity to kind of be part of the church leadership. But the Catholic Church is still a top-down structure. You still have the Pope and the Cardinals and the Archbishops and the Bishops, and they control everything, and they're all men yeah, by, yeah. by default. And until you start to challenge some of those notions that define the institution the way it is, you're never going to see change. Zach Ford is the LGBTQ editor for Think Progress. He joins us in studio. I want to ask you about another story you wrote. Uh, I can't believe it, but Masterpiece uh, Cake Shop in the news again? Yeah. What the hell? Yeah, he uh, he just keeps going. Oh. Um, so as, as listeners may know, 
we had the Supreme Court case. This is a baker in Colorado, Jack Phillips, who refused to sell a wedding cake to a same-sex couple. Yeah. <clears throat> he technically won, but it was on a technicality. The Supreme Court thought that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission wasn't very nice to him when they talked about his religious beliefs. Sort of the same thing we were just talking about. Right, right. But, like, they, they – they, Factually pointed out that religion has been used to define, you know, to defend slavery and the Holocaust and other things like that, which is true. Which is a hundred percent true. Um, but they just thought it was unfair for him to be characterized that way. So he won on a technicality, but he, the Supreme Court didn't say it's okay to discriminate against LGBTQ people. Now they just said this one guy in this one case gets off the hook. He gets a you know little get out of jail free card. So. It turns out that within the last year, a trans woman had called up Jack Phillips and asked for a birthday cake. Mm -hmm. And when they were asked for how it was styled, she said, I would like it to be pink on the inside and blue on the outside because my birthday also commemorates uh, when I came out as trans. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, well, we can't do that because we don't do a quote unquote gender transition cake. <laughs> and so, you know, you know, who doesn't love a gender transition cake? Right. Let's let's be clear. That's not a thing. Um, <laughs> So, I've never heard of such a thing. So she filed a We've suit. We've got the birthday cakes, we have the graduation cakes, and we have the gender transition cakes. Yeah. So okay. she, she filed a suit, or she filed a complaint. The same commission that they thought was unfair to him before said, oh, you're still breaking the law here, dude. Yeah. Uh, we protect against that kind of discrimination. And, and you know, they found probable cause that uh, he discriminated. So he and his lawyers oh, at the God. Lions Defending Freedom, oh. the hate group, have now filed a countersuit against... The, the commission that was just doing its job to enforce the laws to try to say that they're yeah. being unfair to him and he shouldn't have to make a cake that violates his belief. Now, this whole idea of whether a gender transition cake is a thing is like the core of the argument that they've been using to defend this kind of discrimination. So I want to dig into it for just a sec because like it was, a, first of all, a birthday cake. But what he's trying to say is that this is a different kind of cake. It's a message that I don't want to deliver. But if you were a different customer, or yeah. even if you, it was the same trans woman who said, I want a cake that's pink on the inside and blue on the outside because those are my favorite colors. Or I want a cake that's pink on the inside and blue on the outside because uh, I'm, I'm pregnant and having a gender reveal party sure. and I want to surprise everyone that is twins and there's a girl in there too. Sure, or, you know, sure, or, sure, Or sure. pink and blue are my favorite Power Rangers. Like you can come up with any explanation <laughs> right. for why they would, he would make a pink and blue cake and he would probably make it. But he only is not making it because she's a transgender woman. And it's the same thing with the wedding cake. If you if you said I'm I need a wedding cake for Alex and Jamie, yeah. he doesn't necessarily know if Alex and Jamie is a guy and a girl right. or two guys or two girls. And it just feels and, so cut and dry to me. Right. It's and so like so if he's making that distinction based just on what he now knows about your identity, he's discriminating against you based on your identity. It's not the yeah. message of the cake. So are we gonna? Is this gonna? Oh God! Are we, is this gonna go all the way to the Supreme Court again? Is this I, gonna be a I, thing? I don't know what's going to happen with this. I can't imagine oh, that. God. I mean, it's they didn't call his religion despicable this time. Mm. Uh, it's just a question of whether that get out of jail free card works a second time or not. I guess maybe it's it's so yucky and gross. Um, there are other discrimination cases that might get there before this, so we we might just solve it through them, but. I don't know. It's just so messy and ugly. And honestly, this particular new case, I've seen generate far more transphobia than anything that I, I've seen than all the bathroom stuff before. Like, everyone is enraged. Like, this trans person does not deserve a gender transition cake. Uh, and and sort of litigating all of the legitimacy of trans identities again. And it's really, like, sad and upsetting that, like, we 
we that this happened in the first place, but that it still is a question of whether like trans people are real yeah. and deserve birthday cakes. Yeah, no, you no, know? I, I, look, I mean, for as much progress as we've made um, on the LGBTQ issues, and a lot of it has to do purely with just gay rights and gay marriage, and I'm okay with gay marriage. The trans thing, people still clearly have a real problem with, and it's despicable. But also, with this cake baker, man, I just don't know how this is going to play out. I really don't. Because this, this is not one of those, like, feel-good stories that people will latch on to. No, and, you know, one of the things ADF has been doing uh, is trying to demonize the woman. Um, it's, it's quite possible that this woman, she's an attorney, uh, had called other times and asked for Satan cakes with dildos and things on him to, like, troll him and try to you know come up with things but it, it doesn't really matter because right. it doesn't matter if she really wanted to solicit this cake or not right, right right she ordered it and he discriminated and that's against the law zach ford he has been our guest lgbtq editor for think progress you can follow him on twitter at zach with a k ford zach ford at thinkprogress.org thanks for coming in man i really thanks, appreciate Peter. it we'll see you again soon this is the bill press show Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, it is The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today here on a Monday, August 20th. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've already talked about so much. The Rudy Giuliani truth isn't truth moment seems to be dominating everything. Uh, he was on Meet the Press yesterday saying exactly that, truth isn't truth. Uh, that is the defense that they're choosing to go with for right now. And, uh, frankly, it's a bold move. I am interested to see how that works out for them. Uh, taking your comments on Twitter, uh, all throughout the day at BP show at BP show. And don't forget, we also have our chat room going youtube.com slash the bill press show. Want to hear from, uh, from you there. Uh, we talked about the Catholic church and how the Catholic church um, tried to save face over the weekend. Some of these uh, bishops who, who had gotten in some hot water or had covered up some of the terrible crimes took to the pulpit over the weekend. A couple of comments really quickly. Uh, on Twitter, uh, one person saying, of course, the Catholic Church thinks their good things cancel out the bad things. This And the bad things meaning pedophilia. That's what they do. You sin, you say some prayers, and it's all better. They don't have a clear understanding of accountability or consequences. Also, our buddy Phil uh, says the Catholic Church did not have 24 hours of silence. It was more like 24-plus years of silence. Want to hear from you all on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. I, BP Show. 
Uh, I am joined now by reporter and editor at CQ Now. She is Catherine Tully McManus. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Good to see I'm actually on the roll call side now. Oh, okay. All right, cool. Excellent. Welcome. Welcome. Thank glad you. To, glad to have you uh, here. There's so much to talk about. It is summer. Yes. And yet there's some action. Definitely. Uh, Congress uh, ha was gone for two full weeks. Uh, oh, all right. Wow. Yeah. The Senate is back uh, for their abbreviated recess, which um, really is Mitch McConnell's way of keeping some uh people working and some people off the campaign trail but the house is taking their traditional august recess which is a long period how long it's it's usually about the full month of august the they won't be august. back until september okay. um right. but it gives them a lot of time to campaign and to connect with constituents and um in chris collins case to be indicted <laughs> i was gonna say i want to get into the chris collins <laughs> stuff in just a second but it's, it's sort of like one of the great traditions here in washington dc is like things slow down in august there's not a lot going on but yeah. like there's actually some stuff going on it looks like yeah even when they're not in town um there's so many of them that yeah. chances are something's gonna go down whether you know it's a big campaign moment for some of these guys yeah. as uh you know, they're hitting the trails before the, I mean, the next significant break isn't until October. So they got to get their face time in now campaigning. Uh, but yes, Chris Collins on um, earlier this month, he got in some hot water, uh, federal, some federal hot some water. Federal hot water. That's the best of really bad hot water. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is not just, you know, uh, a little congressional investigation into itself, but he's been indicted on insider trading and securities fraud. Yeah. Um, I will say I'm not a financial crimes expert, but I, Nor am I. I definitely have dug into the congressional ethics side of this. I, I want to dig into that uh, when we get back uh, from the break, but also it's like, He's got to be thrilled that there's a little bit of a break. Like, he doesn't have to go face his constituents because he's not running anymore. So he can yeah. just go and hide. Mm -hmm. And, like, an entire month to just go hide if you're a person like Chris Collins with those sorts of troubles, like, probably pretty welcome right about now. I'm yeah. sure he's, he's pretty excited about it. And I have all the respect for, you know, local reporting, absolutely. Totally. But he does not have to face us right. as he heads to votes in the congressional press corps, which I think um, – is daunting when you're yeah. facing something like this. It's got to be some dread coming up those stairs. Catherine Tully McManus is our guest. Uh, we're going to take a very, very, very quick break. We're going to dig in more to the Chris Collins story and what that might mean for Congress after a very, very quick break. Oh, yeah, and there's some more ethics problems. Stay tuned. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, it is The Bill Press Show. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in here on a Monday, August 20th. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. I appreciate you tuning in, whether you are watching us on Free Speech TV or watching us at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show, or listening to us on one of our great progressive talk radio stations, or getting the podcast. Hey! We're everywhere. We are everywhere you want to be. Uh, we're tweeting at BP Show, at BP Show. I tweet sometimes at Peter Ogburn. 
Donald Trump tweets often. He is tweeting this morning. Uh, we have to go through uh, some of his tweets. I'm joined, by the way, uh, by reporter and editor at Roll Call, Catherine Tully McManus, in studio. You can follow her on Twitter, by the way, at K Tully McManus. Good to see you. Great to be here. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. I hate to do this. <laughs> I ge- like I genuinely hate to do this. Like I don't. It's not just like I'm, it's not just one of those things that I say. <clears throat> like I genuinely hate to look at Donald Trump's Twitter feed. That American flag with his grin. Oh, the, oh god. Okay, so like I'm j- mostly anti-Twitter mm-hmm. these days. Like I don't tweet that much. I'll go on every now and then, a couple times a day. But I used to just like mainline it, mm-hmm. you know. And I can't do it anymore. And I damn sure can't do the thing that a lot of reporters do. I don't know if you're one of these people that do this, that have the notifications set up for any time that he tweets. I'm in a Slack channel, so I get that notification, but I don't get it pushed directly to my brain. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I think that's for what you do. and for, I, I understand you have to cover it, but also I think that's a pretty good medium. I yeah, that's... I have like an intermediary. Like I just know that there is a Trump tweet and I get to choose whether to swipe in and see what it is in the moment. I always love the moment that like Bill is here and we'll have a guest here and a guest here. And at one point the phone will ring. Or the phone, will, there'll be a little notification, and they'll all of them at the same time just like look at their phones. Oh, like, yeah. And be like, oh, oh, he's tweeting. And like everybody's just like gnash teeth, grip onto your chair, like, oh boy. I used to think it was so rude to when I would watch, you know, cable or news TV and everyone would be on their phones, but in this day and age, yeah. you never know what's coming out I of that Twitter account. I guess you kind of have to be to be a good yeah. reporter. Anyway, he's tweeting this morning. Um, he says, uh, disgraced and discredited Bob Mueller, which <laughs> I know he's just throwing jargon around. He's a decorated veteran. But, like, Robert Mueller is certainly not disgraced and certainly not discredited. Anyway, disgraced and discredited Bob Mueller and his whole group of angry Democrat thugs spent over 30 hours with the White House counsel. Only with my approval for purposes of transparency. Anybody needing that much time when they know there is no Russian collusion is just someone looking for trouble. Looking for trouble. They are enjoying ruining people's lives and refuse to look at the real corruption on the Democrat side. The lies, the firings, the deleted emails, and so much more. Mueller's angry Dems. Here we go. That's a new thing because it's all capitalized. So we're going to hear that again. Mueller's angry Dems are looking to impact the election. They are a national disgrace. Where's the collusion? This is like a series of three tweets. (laughs) It just, uh, where's the collusion? They made up a phony crime called collusion. What? They made up a phony crime called collusion. (gasps) Tailor made just for you, Mr. President. Right. And when there was no collusion, they say there was obstruction, parentheses, of a phony crime that never existed. If you fight back or say anything bad about the rigged witch hunt, they scream obstruction. Those are the thoughts from our totally normal president here on Monday, August 20th. He also misspelled counsel. Again. Again. With a C. So what I love is, what what I love is he misspelled counsel for the longest time, just spelling it like counsel, C-O-U-N-C-I-L, 
council. Like the Council on Foreign Relations, he might be familiar with. Right, right. And then someone's like, oh, Mr. President, you're misspelling it. Uh, it's not spelled that way. So then he tries to spell it council, C-O-U-N-C-E-L. And it just, anyway, <laughs> I feel like I've done my piece. I've, t I've told you what Donald Trump has tweeted about, and now I'm done. And now I'm done. Uh, let's talk about some uh, s some of the congressional news with our uh, friend Catherine Tully McManus, who is in studio. Uh, good to see you. Great to be here. Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, I I want to talk. Start first of all. We started talking about the Chris Collins stuff. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about what it is that he's up against legally, because we know now politically he's mm -hmm. toast. He's not running for re-election, mm -hmm. and we we'll get into that in just a second. But legally, what could he be facing with these ethics charges? Um, he has a significant slate of charges against yeah. him. Uh, there is both the federal indictment and also um, an SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, mm -hmm. filing. Um, the indictment was, uh, you know, laid out the charges against him, the SEC filing was more of a roller coaster play-by-play -play of what mm. happened. That's the filing that got into the fact that, uh, you know, when he found out. So he's was on the board and is an investor in this Australian biotech company. They thought they had a drug for multiple sclerosis, MS, um, that was going to be wildly successful. When that drug trial failed and he got the call because he's on the board, mm -hmm. he then shared that info. Uh, before that was public, which, uh, you know, saved him and the people he shared it with, including his son and his son's soon-to-be father-in-law, I believe, uh, basically his girlfriend's dad, yeah, uh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, a lot in losses, like uh, $570,000 they could have lost, but they dumped their stock wow. on the tip uh, that this drug trial had failed. So... That is some pretty serious business. That's cut and dry. Yes. I, again, we like. I don't know much about this type of law. I don't mm -hmm. know what you can or cannot necessarily do. I believe it or not, I don't play the stocks very often. But like, that seems pretty cut and dry. That seems like absolutely insider trading. I cannot be the decider of that, but Understood. yes, Understood. the SEC filing goes into the absolute roller coaster of drama which includes yeah. chris collins standing on the lawn at the white house at yeah. the congressional picnic getting the call that this drug trial has failed and immediately calling his son he called his son six times before his son picked up and he got to share this info in which the son immediately Must have been important. right and the son immediately turns around and starts talking to his girlfriend about it and she's updating her dad and it is the fact that it all happened on the White House lawn is th the craziest twist to me. Yeah. It, you know, you could talk about, like, oh, did he do it from his office phone? Like, what are the <laughs> rules about, you know, federal, like, using your p position, et cetera, et cetera? No. He's on his cell phone on the White House lawn, and there's video. There's video of it. There's video. He's got video of it, which yeah. is amazing to me. Yes. That's, like, the most DC thing ever. Yeah. It's so, it's so insider, and it is wild and the thing that it just gets more wild so uh our team at roll call puts together like the wealth of congress which just dives into all these financial filings that uh lawmakers have to turn in and they're very vague 
But we dug up, you know, there's five other people in Congress who invested in this same um, stock yeah. uh, right around the time that questions about, remember Tom Price, former uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, HHS oh, that secretary. Guy. Oh, that guy. Yeah, so he was an investor <laughs> and he caught scrutiny over that when he was um, up for the HHS mm. job. Uh, and right around that time is when these other five lawmakers decide to dip in to that stock. Um, and that, uh, I don't know what we will see on those other five, but I think they must be sweating a little bit yeah. as Chris Collins um, is indicted. <laughs> so so he, he originally said he was not going to suspend his campaign. Yes. He has now changed his tune. He yes. is going to suspend his campaign. So... Um, you know, we're at the end of August. Mm-hmm. How is that going to play out? What's going to happen there? Uh, by the going... way, for, for, I just want to point out again, like if you're not familiar who who Chris Collins is, probably the loudest defender of Donald Trump on TV. The first defender in Congress of yeah. Donald Trump. He was the first member of Congress, House or Senate, to back Trump's yeah. c- campaign. Um, and his so for more context, his district is in between Buffalo and Rochester. Okay. Um, so when he, you know, was doing his press conferences about this issue there in Buffalo, um, when he ducked out, you know, a few people immediately jumped into that race. Some, you know, county official or yeah, state and county officials. Um, however, because of how election policy works in New York State, there's a chance that he's going to still be on the ballot even though he's not running. Yeah. It's really hard to get someone off the ballot in New York once you're already at this point. Yeah. What they might be trying to do is trying to nominate him for some other role that would conflict so you couldn't be running for Congress and that other thing just to mm. get him off that Congress ballot. But that is not yet decided, but it will be complicated because there's all the people in that state who are just going to see his name, not only in the Republican column, but also there's this other column on the New York state ballot, uh, oh, and he'll be wow. there too. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, this is not good. What's funny to me, or not funny to me, but what's interesting to me is that Democrats a couple of months ago now, you know, they said they are going to bring back the old winning catchphrase of mm-hmm. the culture of corruption, right? Yes. And since then, you look at Chris Collins. You look at a lot of the other like Me Too payments that mm-hmm. had sort of that that they that had gotten covered up. Um, they seem to have kind of struck a chord. I think they definitely have. I think on the Me Too front, they are you know so hesitant to wave a partisan flag because Understood. everyone is always going to say look at al franken yeah um it's, and, it, by no means is it a partisan <laughs> issue right um and they they don't even want to point to like you know numbers the republican versus democrat who have you know gotten in hot water over that uh because you never know what's in your roster you yeah. never know yeah. what is in people's past. Totally. Um, and I think this kind of thing, this financial kind of thing, which you really can look into as yeah. they file their financial disclosures and stuff, um, it, I think that will be more on the radar of both parties. But I will say that I knew, being people are upset about the Chris Collins thing and another member who had an ethics report released this month um, saying that how can you be in Washington and be representative of the people and it 
they say the system wants you to only be in Washington and not be a businessman or not be an investor. And how can you can't be a a citizen politician anymore? You have to just be a politician. Um, But I don't see, (laughs) you know, federal charges, I think, are on a different playing field. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, There's also another little scandal mm-hmm. that you wrote about the health the house ethics committee mm-hmm. has called for by the way maybe the best name in all of congress mark wayne mullen mark wayne mullen mark wayne mullen uh he has he's in a little bit of hot water he has to return forty thousand dollars to his family business uh as you write quote following review that uh concluded that the money was paid out to him in a manner that is out of compliance with House rules and the committee's recommendations. What does that mean exactly? So that means that he, this is a five-year investigation. This began in wow. 2013. Really? Yes. yes. Um, he sought guidance from the Ethics Committee um, about what to do. He came into Congress and he was part of these family businesses. It's a it's a group of businesses. It's Mullen, I believe it's Mullen Incorporated. And it's a bunch of plumbing businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, he previously, before he was in Congress, he had... Uh, starred in a lot of commercials for them and things like that which were still running so is that using um you know your your new position in congress to sell your plumbing services all that stuff he went to the ethics panel and asked for advice guidance on how to sort this out so that he would be in compliance he did uh shift uh, the leadership positions that he was in to his wife in most cases mm. um, but there were some things that were not fully in compliance. So some automatic payments, like some annual automatic payments that would go to uh, this leadership role were not transferred over. So he was paid out as if he was, well, excuse me, like, you know, the chairman uh, or the president. Okay. When, But his, his primary leadership of it had been passed over. So maybe not necessarily like a nefarious thing. I, like the ethics panel in their report, they say that this seems inadvertent. Sure. Sloppy. Uh, sloppy. I, I, definitely sloppy, but they maybe not. S- they the say, like, quote, it, he made a good faith effort to come into compliance, and sure. but this slipped through. Yeah. Um, and so that is troubling. He is the one, when I was mentioning before, he is the one who came out and said, how can you be a businessman lawmaker nowadays if you can't be the leader of your own family business if you cannot hold that leadership position yeah. and get paid as such um if you want businessmen in congress which some people really think that is a great way to you know have leadership if you've led a company you can you know lead a caucus or whatever but uh he really pushed back against this ethics decision and said are you kidding me? Right. I ran <laughs> right, on being right. a you know a businessman and running this family business. Then I gave that up yeah. to do this Congress thing. And now you're telling me even that wasn't enough. He's saying you just have to be a Washington insider to be in Congress, which, you know, yeah, kinda, I don't know, kinda, maybe. Kinda, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, you also wrote about, so you, we, we've talked a lot about the Office of Congressional Ethics. You mm-hmm. wrote about. Uh, this is from a couple weeks ago about how they've seen um, a big uptick in citizen outreach. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't want to get too too wonky here, mm-hmm. uh, but there's a difference between like a a, a request for an investigation from inside yes. of Congress and something 
from outside. So can you explain a little bit about how that works? Yeah, so those numbers, there was a huge increase. I mean, we're talking thousands mm. of like citizen outreach data points. Um, this is a report that they give very regularly about how many uh, people, but they what they said to me when I asked about the numbers was this is everything. This includes people mm. calling up and saying, you need to investigate Trump. This is people <laughs> calling up and saying, you know, yeah. my county clerk is corrupt and the wrong people are being elected to Congress. You need to investigate the county clerk. And they're like, we do not have jurisdiction over the White House <laughs> or your county clerk. <laughs> right. Um, right. So even so those are all included. And I do think that ethics is so much more on people's minds nowadays as you know we're hearing day after day as with the trump tweets investigation this investigation that witch hunt etc uh people are thinking about what are the rules for these guys what what parameters are in place what parameters should be in place should people be allowed to own stock in publicly traded companies or foreign companies or etc and so i do think that this is on one hand, some citizen engagement, but maybe not targeted at the right organization. Right. You know, it's it's so funny that, like, not that long ago we were talking about the whole, like, um, you know, the payouts that these mm-hmm. Congress people, Congress people, Congress men, because mm-hmm. they were men, were making these payouts uh, to um, women who had made reports of uh, sexual harassment and mm-hmm. all this type of stuff. And it turns out that, like, that's our money. Yes, this taxpayers' money. Taxpayer taxpayers' money. money is going is essentially being, be, being uh, doled out as hush money, mm-hmm. for uh, for these congressmen to do whatever they want. Yes, and so like I think there's been a little bit more of an engagement on the the ethics side of things. Also, probably not worth calling the Office of Congressional Ethics to complain about Donald Trump. Yes, and I, I mean that is you know you. The Office of Congressional Ethics, the Office of Government Ethics, to someone who isn't steeped in, you know, Washington bureaucracy, it can all seem pretty similar. And, like, they should all be watching out on each other's, uh, you know, playing field. But Can I ask you a question about – this is sort of a curveball. Blake Farenthold we talked Mm -hmm. about a lot because he was sort of the the poster boy for this type of behavior. Yes. What's it? What? Where is he at this point? What is um, his? He deal? has a new job. Yeah. Um. That was. Did he ever pay that money back? He did not pay that money back. He did not pay the money back. Um. At this point, the ethics committee has said that they don't have the jurisdiction now that he is out of Congress to. And I will say it's not the law right now. Understood. The House and Senate proposals that are well, what a what a nice little loophole if you're one of these guys. Well, I will say people are uh, okay. So House Speaker Paul Ryan called for House Ethics to investigate this Chris Collins situation, mm-hmm. but this is just a prediction. But House Ethics might say this is in the hands of the justice system now, and. In a few months, he's not going to be in Congress, <laughs> right. so he's going to be out of our jurisdiction. He, they had looked into him previously, but I'm not sure they're going to start something fresh over this. If if there's already been federal charges, no, what sure. kind of you know justice can they bring? Right. No, I get that, but it is also just kind of like indicative of the bigger problems here. Yeah, and I will say that the you know there's a house and house and senate bills to clean up the sexual harassment issue yeah. on Capitol Hill. And as of right now, they are going nowhere. Yeah. They've both been passed, but they have to come to some kind of agreement. 
and that's not happening because of a holdup on discussions about what lawmakers are responsible for paying for, what lawmakers are responsible um, for knowing and right. about their office. There was the Elizabeth Estee issue in the, her Connecticut Democrat. Yeah. Um, she didn't fire someone immediately yep. when finding out that uh, a staffer of hers was very abusive towards his subordinate. Um and sh- she didn't run yeah. or she backed out. Um, and that is, I mean, that has lit a fire under lawmakers fear wise. I think they're like, what if we didn't know? Yeah, you could lose your job. You could lose your job. Oh, which is what really appeals to these guys. And I do think there's like a big difference nowadays that, you know, they go home every single weekend. There's all these recesses. Yeah. So your chief of staff or whoever's leading your office is the big boss a huge portion of the time every day that the member isn't in the office physically right. they're in charge and that's a lot of power um and if there's something fishy going on the member i mean there's a you see it all the time that staffers are very well behaved when the members in town sure and sure recess i mean there's not a tie to be seen on capitol Hill. It's, it's so <laughs> funny like a little bit of power is dangerous a lot of power like mm-hmm. a person in that scenario is Possibly career-ending for a couple of people. Mm-hmm. And the idea that, you know, you hired them, you're responsible for them 100% of the time, I think makes some lawmakers very nervous, even though it's how, very much how, you know, it operates in the private sector. Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. I mean, like it or not, right. I mean, that there are sometimes some problems with that, but that's just how it works. Somebody's right. got to be accountable for it. Yeah, but I wouldn't expect uh, a lot of action soon right. on forcing members to pay back the settlement money uh, that is paid out from the Treasury. that uh, And it definitely won't be retroactive. So Blake Farenthold, they're not going to claw that out of him. Yeah, which... Uh, well, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Uh, fi- final question about this whole ethics thing, and, and it sort of brings the Me Too movement into it again, because it was about a year ago, not, not quite a year, that we sort of started going down this path yes. of, of weeding out and, mm-hmm. and ending uh, careers of, of very bad men. And we had many congressional reporters, people who cover Washington, D.C., that said, like, Al Franken's not the first. Mm-hmm. He's uh, not going to be, by any stretch, he's not going to be the last. There mm-hmm. are scores of stories being written about members of Congress behaving very, very badly. Mm-hmm. For the most part, Hasn't been a lot written. It hasn't been a lot said. Blake Farenthold, I think, is the one that I can really point to. But for the most part, it's been kind of quiet. Yeah, I think the Blake Farenthold situation was interesting in that it, it did go through the full uh, process within Congress. There were yeah. the formal complaints. Some of the other ones that came out were, you know, after the fact or former staffers who uh, left and then spoke out, and th- no disrespect on that at all. Sure, the, the consequences are so huge totally. for speaking out right now. Totally. Um, but once you know a staffer is gone, they can't report within the congressional system. And the Blake Farenthold thing that was just all that documentation. There was all yeah. of, there was that whole paper trail from the complaint all the way through to the settlement. Yeah. And now the lack of payment of settlement. So. 
Oh, boy. All right. Catherine Tully McManus is our guest. She's from Roll Call. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, so much to talk about, and uh, I appreciate you coming in and talking about it with me. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Peter Ogg. We're going to take a very, very quick break. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, it is the Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. My name is not Bill Press. My name is Peter Ogburn. I'm sitting in for Bill today here on a Monday, August 20th. Thank you for joining us. What a weekend we had. Uh, I can't go through it by myself, so I've run a White House columnist for The Hill. He is Niall Stanage. He joins us in studio. You can follow him on Twitter at Niall Stanage. That's N-I-A-L-L Stanage. Read his good work at thehill.com. Hi, Niall. How are you? Good, Peter. How are you? Oh, I'm just great. I'm just great. Uh, I, I wanted, I, You knew this was coming. I want to start with the first story of the day, the clip. The phrase that pays today uh, that everybody's talking about, Rudy Giuliani going on Meet the Press, talking to Chuck Todd when he was asked about Don McGahn, something else we'll talk about here in just a moment, Don McGahn giving over 30 hours of testimony to Robert Mueller, uh, the White House uh, counsel, Don McGahn, uh, testifying, talking to Robert Mueller. Rudy Giuliani tried to go out there and say that truth is in the eye of the beholder. Here's how he put it. And when you tell me that, you know, he should testify because he's going to tell the truth and he shouldn't worry, well, that's so silly because it's somebody's version of the truth, not the truth. He didn't have a, a conversation about... Truth is about, truth. I, I don't mean to go like... I, no, I it isn't truth. Truth isn't truth. The President Boom. of the United States says, I didn't... Truth isn't I, truth. Mr. Mayor, do you realize what... I, I, no, I, no, th no. This is going to become a what, bad don't, 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 do, don't, do, don't do this to me. Don't do uh, truth Donald isn't truth Trump, to me. Donald Trump says, I didn't talk about Flynn with Comey. Comey says, you did talk about it. So tell me what the truth is. Don McGahn might uh, If know. you're such a genius, John McGahn, Don McGahn doesn't I mean, know. If that's the situation, okay. they have two pieces of evidence. Trump says, I didn't tell him. And the other guy says that he did say it. Which is the truth? Okay. So I understand... What Rudy is trying to say here. Mm. He's trying to say it's his word versus his. Mm. It's a he said, he said. How hard is it to say that, Niall? Right, exactly. That's the point. It's the soundbite that is where the real damage lies. The idea that truth isn't truth. Because it fuels so many suspicions that people have of yeah. this administration and this present and this present's response to the Mueller probe in particular. And to your point, I mean, to me, this reminds me of, do you remember um, Donald Rumsfeld and the No One on No Ones? Oh, yes. Like, if you read that quote and you can sort of... Uh, decouple it from its political context he ha I mean, he's right he's right, he's right. Um, and similarly in Rudy's case yes you know any police officer who's investigated I don't know a traffic accident would say yes two people can sincerely hold different views of the same event sure the problem is politically it's a terrible thing to say yes. and in this instance James Comey has apparently rather uh, copious uh, documentary evidence to back up his case which President Trump doesn't right right I mean it, it, I'm old enough to remember Bill Clinton right well it depends on what your definition of the word is is which is a crazy thing to say right whether or not, I mean, whether or not he had a point, yeah. whatever, it doesn't matter anymore. It right. now becomes a laughing stock. Right. It's like alternative facts. Right. It's like truth isn't truth. Exactly. 
And I was saying, like, earlier, it's like, we do kind of live in a post-truth world now. Right. No, no, we do. But the problem is that that quote or that soundbite crystallizes what yeah. people think about this administration and, frankly, both uh, Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani, which is that they are simply engaged in a, in a sort of a, a smoke-blowing exercise yeah. over Mueller as opposed to any actual legitimate uh, attempt to defend themselves or to get at any kind of truth. Combine that with the fact that Rudy Giuliani has, had, has gone out there multiple times and st- said stuff that he had to immediately come back and, and walk back. He right. said things that are not, in fact, true, depending on what your definition of true is. Uh, right. But he uh, said things that are not true and they had to come back and walk him back. Yeah, absolutely. And this really goes to the central problem. I mean, Rudy Giuliani is clearly being deployed much more as a public relations man than as a lawyer. His purpose is to right. cast doubt on Mueller, to hit Mueller, to generally create more uh, doubt and skepticism around the Mueller probe. And in the process of trying to do that, he has, as you say, said some things that are not true. There have been times when he has uh, contradicted himself. There was a very recent example where Jake Tapper had asked him something and he had, he he this was the, the the question of whether Trump had had a conversation at all with James Comey about right. Michael Flynn right. and and Giuliani completely contradicted himself from what he had said previously so obviously things like that are again, a problem again he just he has a habit of doing it right right is he been helpful for Trump's case i know he mm. i i do think he's doing what Trump wants him to do right but has he been helpful for Trump's case? I don't think he has been helpful to his legal case because the scattershot approach that Giuliani has taken, I think, has heightened uh, suspicion or skepticism um, and I, I think has made people doubt that Trump really has any persuasive case. It's just this, as I say, scattershot method of, of hitting uh, back at Mueller. Now, the the question is always, you know, yes, to the majority of the population. I don't think he's been particularly helpful. Is he helpful to that Trump-supporting core of maybe 30, 35% of the population that want to see their president hitting back that are very dubious about Mueller anyway? Maybe Giuliani's helpful there, but I, I don't know that he gains... I don't know that he gets Trump any people that Trump doesn't already get via his right. own Twitter feed and other statements. You know, I think that's a good way to put it, mm. actually. Yeah, I think that's probably pretty accurate. I don't mm. think he's doing anything that Donald Trump couldn't do himself. Right. But how much of the the of Rudy's job is because Donald Trump really likes what he's doing, which I believe mm. he, he does like what he's doing. Mm. It, how much of it is Donald Trump really likes what he's doing versus... Nobody else will take the job. <laughs> you know? I mean, a combination of both, I guess. Yeah. One of the things that surprises me is um, Donald Trump, uh, somebody who had uh, served under Donald Trump, uh, told me in a um, background um, conversation a few months ago the, the, the argument that Donald Trump doesn't like co-stars, you know, and we do right. see that repeatedly, be it... Omarosa or be it uh, Anthony Scaramucci or other people who have been perceived to be like too publicity hungry for Trump's tastes. It is interesting to me that he doesn't seem to feel that way about Giuliani. He seems to like Giuliani being on every show that will have him and really talking weird. to yeah, and talking to every reporter who will who will talk to him. Yeah. So that is uh, a bit. 
peculiar to me. But um, I, I do take your point that it is not a job that a whole lot of people are probably rushing to take, at least uh, not people who have for good or for bad, the reputation that Giuliani has at one point. It's sort of like Jeff Sessions' problem. Like, he loves to beat up on Jeff mm-hmm. Sessions publicly and talk about what a bad attorney general he is, but he knows that he can't fire him. Right. Because who else would, A, want that job, or B, could get confirmed? Right. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And in, and in Giuliani's case, you need someone who is high-profile enough to go on all those shows, which other attorneys in the president's team are not really. I mean, Jay, Jay Sekulow, for I, I don't know whether he's a good lawyer or not, but he doesn't have that sort of... But he's got a radio show. <laughs> he's got a radio show. But he doesn't have the kind of cachet that, that Giuliani at least has in some yeah. quarters. No, that's right. Um, and so I don't know who who is sort of comparable to Giuliani would be willing to go and just sort of blast away from, from dawn to dusk yeah. on this kind of topic, <laughs> you know? So you wrote about... And by the way, this is we're, this is Monday. We're just getting started started sure. on this week. But last week was um, last week was something. Absolutely, last week was something. And and as I was talking to our previous guest, Catherine Tully McManus, this is the time of year here in Washington D.C. that we're just kind of like going to the restaurants we've always wanted to go to because right. there's no crowds. We go see attractions because you know there's really nothing around, and yet. Having done this show with Bill for 13 years now, mm-hmm. uh, we used to dread August. We right. used to dread August. This is when we would have like a couple of pocket issues that we would just like put on the back burner. Maybe we'll do it in August. Sure, sure. Maybe we'll do it in August. But this August, we've got Amarosa. Right. Which I'm kind of done talking about. Sure, Amarosa, sure. Right. Yeah, I yeah. think I think it's worth it was worth talking about. But yeah, yeah. We've got uh, uh, the the Mueller stuff only heating up. We've got this Rudy stuff. You've got the uh, revocation of John Brennan's security clearance. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I want to park on that for just a second because, mm-hmm. um, John Brennan, I think over the weekend he said like, yes, this is an abuse of power. Are we going to see any more of these security uh, clearances being revoked? It seems quite plausible to me. The president, I can't remember which day it was last week, but he was either going to or from Marine One and stopped and spoke to reporters yeah. and suggested that he could take, he could revoke other clearances, including Bruce Orr, who's the only one I think of those listed who's actually serving in a Justice Department position <laughs> where he couldn't do his job if that were removed from him. What, what's the what's the motivation for this? Because it, it, mm. it looks very just like change the subject. I don't want to talk about Amorosa anymore. I'm going to take away this stuff. So like that's a, mm. that's the obvious. That's the optics, right? Yeah. Uh, but what's the push there? I think it is bitterness against these people who have criticized the president, who have become uh, thorns in his side, and who have the um, authority or gravitas that yeah. comes with holding positions in the national security uh, establishment. At a stretch, you could argue that the president is trying to sort of stoke this idea of a deep state conspiring against him. I mean, when he starts listing this number That's of people... That's where I wanted to go. I want to get to the deep state talk. <laughs> then there is a suggestion that, that it is all a conspiracy or that these people are all in league with each other in some shady fashion. It's... 
conspiracy theorist territory that we're getting into, right? Like, this is InfoWars territory. This is what they've been pushing. Sean Hannity has pushed this for, you know, Sean Hannity has been a very talented broadcaster for many, many years, but I think he has taken a turn completely into just propaganda, state-run news. Mm, yeah, 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 exactly. Mm. So, like, it... That's that was my first thought. Is like we're actually seeing the president believing the deep state talk, mm. um, which it could be scary because it is it is conspiracy theory talk. Yeah, it is. And one of the things that strikes me is that increasingly, when you read uh, Donald Trump's tweets, it seems as if I mean I'm not sure that there is any kind of cogent or cohesive theory about. These conspiracies, he just seems to yeah. randomly sort of throw out names. It's like there's a, uh, it's like bingo calling, you know. You have <laughs> Bruce Orr and Sally Yates right. and James Clapper and right. you know whoever who happens to f- focus in on that day. And I, it doesn't. I, there's no really com- uh, cohesive case that he's making. No, I love I love how he just has shortened crooked Hillary to, to just crooked, crooked, crooked. What about crooked's emails? What, who? <laughs> Hillary Clinton, yeah. crooked Hillary, just crooked. Crooked. Just, yeah, just, everyone, yeah. everyone knows yeah. now, so just it's crooked. fine. It's <laughs> like, come on, man. It's crazy. Um, the other story that you mentioned in that crazy week of mm. last week, which I, I wasn't here at the end of last week, I completely forgot that we were going to have a military parade here in Washington, D.C. So were. there's now a spat. Again, yeah, this yeah. is where he lives. He loves to pick fights with people. Mm. He's now picked a fight with Washington, D.C. He says that the cost that they gave him was too high. Right. Can we, like, what's the truth here? Well, I don't, I have not drilled down into those numbers, but clearly a military parade of the type he was talking about was legitimately going to cost the District of Columbia a lot of money. Yeah, we we, we sort of, uh, off the air, right, we were Mm. talking about this. We were trying to figure out, this was back when this idea first came up, but just like, Mm how much it would cost to get that stuff here. Right. And not only that, the roads. Right. The closures. Absolutely. I mean, and we're talking about military equipment. So, like, you're not going to get up close and personal with it. Right, right. It's going to cost a ton of money. No, and even, even really basic things, like my understanding is that they were going to have to reinforce the actual roads, like yeah. the actual pavement, because yeah. you weren't going to be able to roll tanks up or whatever he wanted otherwise. Armies of tanks rolling down the streets of Washington, D.C., which if you haven't driven on the streets of Washington, D.C., good luck. Not the greatest in the country. Not the, great. not the greatest in the country already before we run tanks and weapons of war on them. Are they even wide enough to support a tank? Some of them are so narrow. We'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out. So it seems it seems a crazy. Thing. One thing that was interesting. I mean, obviously, peop, those of us here in D.C. are well aware of Muriel Bowser, the mayor of uh, District of Columbia. But she did fire back at President Trump on Twitter and seemed to get more kind of national um, pickup and coverage than she has in a in a while yeah. because of uh, essentially mocking him for his complaints about the cost. I clearly have a lot of issues with Donald Trump, but the military parade was one of the ones for me that I was like, oh my God, what are we doing? What are we even doing? 
which I know is not the biggest issue and certainly not the most damaging to the democracy or any of that stuff, mm. but it's just like, who are we as a country? Yeah, there is a legitimate point there for sure. I, I think that part of it is Donald Trump's love of the pomp and circumstance that yeah. can potentially go uh, along with being present. My impression of this, and I would need to look back in the archives to be sure, but didn't this idea first emerge after he'd been to France, France. for the Bastille Day yes, celebrations? Yes, indeed. And then he kind of seemed to think, oh, that's great. I should have tanks and things rolling by that I yeah. can salute. Um, and it just seems so incongruous with the various challenges that we do face as a country, which are very serious challenges, to want, I just want to see some tanks rolling by. Yeah, exactly. I mean, France has seen some war. Right. I, I'm not sure uh, people might be able to tell from your accent that you ain't from around here. Y'all have seen some war. Right, right. What war have we seen here that we need to have such a, a, a parade in that manner? Yeah, in, 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 the, in the homeland. I know, I mean, everything about it is just quite, quite peculiar, really. I don't get it. Yeah. All right. So I want to I want to get into the the story that Rudy Giuliani was actually talking about on Meet the Press uh-huh. with Chuck Todd, right. and it has to do with White House Counsel Don McGahn. Counsel. Counsel, which Donald, which Donald Trump again misspelled. The, the White House Counsel. Yeah, the White House Counsel. The members of the White House. Council. So so it's like. I, look, people get mad at me all the time because I mock his spelling and mm-hmm. the fact that we have a president that can't read or write. So. I think that's a pretty low bar to have to get over to know how you should know how to spell if you're president of the United States. Mm. So, like, I love he he originally was talking about White House counsel, C-O-U-N-C-I-L. And mm. so it was like, oh, no, Mr. President, no, no, that's spelled wrong. It's got an E in it. It's got an E in it. So this morning he was spelling it counsel, C-O-U-N-C-E-L. So, again, still not right. Still not right. And that's fine. You can get mad at me for being an elitist because I think people should know how to spell. But, like, we... Come on, guys. It's it's a low bar. It's a low bar to get over. Right. Um, But the White House counsel, Mm -hmm. Don McGahn, um, has met with, and not only met with, cooperated extensively with Robert Mueller. This is sort of a bombshell that I think, you know, it's, it's... and I'm guilty of this too. Like we grabbed onto the Rudy Giuliani truth isn't truth line, but the real story here is that the White House Counsel spoke for 30 hours to Robert Mueller. What could Robert Mueller be looking for? Well, presumably, evidence of obstruction is the answer. Yeah. And Don McGahn, at least in theory, is very well placed to provide such evidence if it exists. I mean, McGahn would be uh, privy to. Uh, Trump's complaints about the Mueller investigation and to suggestions uh, that Trump would make about what to do about that investigation. Yeah. So if he is cooperating fully, then that would seem to pose fairly considerable peril uh, for President Trump. I know that Trump has been saying that he did it all with his uh, blessing and all of that. That seems not to tally with the reactions we're seeing from other people uh, in there. So that's uh, obviously a problem. One of the things that, you know, as, as we all know, sometimes in these big stories, you find fascinating details further down or deep in, deeper into the story. And one of the things that struck me about the original Times piece was that Don McGahn's personal lawyer 
described the decision to allow him to testify as insane yeah. for Trump to yeah. allow to allow him to go forward, and re- the fact that Trump's people had raised no objection to McGahn testifying. So all of that, I think, goes again to just this atmosphere of chaos and confusion around the White House. Mm, man, yeah, I mean, it's baffling. Mm. The whole thing is genuinely baffling. Like I look at it and I think, okay, well, maybe Donald Trump is sort of offering this. Instead of himself, mm. he'll give the counsel. Okay, sure. But again, it's pretty crazy. It is. Because this is a guy that knows the actual implications of lying to Robert Mueller, which I don't think Donald Trump actually fully gets. Right. I think that I think that's right. And, you know, the other thing about it is the the idea of having the the White House counsel uh, feeling motivated to talk to Robert Mueller because he believes the president is setting him up for the fall. Yeah. Like, that is just, what kind of times are we living right, in here? Right, You know, this is so so Watergate plus. Watergate plus, <laughs> plus, 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 as in my say. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, <laughs> we, we played the clip of uh, Rudy Giuliani and Jay Sekulow, and you've heard this before. It's a perjury trap. Talking mm. to Robert Mueller is a perjury trap. Only if you lie. Right. Right. I mean, that's the whole point, right? Yeah. I mean, you commit perjury by lying. You don't You don't come in and say, Peter, how are you? You say, I'm fine. I'm like, perjury? But yeah, perjury. No, you're not fine. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. it's, it's I, I don't know if you're listening to Slow Burn, this, uh, this, um, this podcast. They did the first season was all about Watergate. This, now, this mm-hmm. next season is about... Bill Clinton and his impeachment trial. Uh, And it's really, really interesting to see an actual perjury trap Mm. build itself up, right? Right. Like the the idea of what happened with Monica Lewinsky and all of that was like what they tried to do to get her Mm. to tell her whole story was pretty grotesque. The way that they that they that they handled that. Yeah. Uh, but the the goal here was they used her to try and build that perjury trap. Right, right. And you see a perjury trap being laid in this this. Con- I don't think that it's nearly that complex for Donald Trump. No, I I don't think so at all. I don't think that there is. I mean, in the the Lewinsky case, as you say, was was. Uh, I mean, that that obviously had started as a completely different investigation. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then then Monica Lewinsky had come into it, uh, and then it. it you know, took its own form. But there, I think there was a much more, as you say, step-by-step process to building a, a, a so-called perjury trap, uh, which, of course, you know, let's not let's not absolve Bill Clinton for then walking into that perjury Absolutely. trap. Absolutely. No, no, no. Totally. Um, totally. But, but then um, there is, uh, in this instance, in the, in the Trump instance, there doesn't seem to be really anything like that it seems like a much more direct approach by uh, an independent or special counsel into the the central matter under investigation. Yeah. Was there shady stuff here regard between you and Russia? Yeah, and you know there was or there wasn't. But yeah. if you lie to try to, if there was, and you lie to try to conceal the fact that there was, that's not really a perjury trap. That's just perjury. Right, right, right. Exactly. Uh, the other thing that Rudy sort of talked about is he doubled down on something that Donald Trump has said is like, we met with these people in Trump tower to get information mm-hmm. on Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. which is collusion. Right. By definition, that is collusion. Now their argument is they didn't know that they were Russian, mm. um, which, okay, fine. Well, whatever. 
But this is the groundwork being laid for mm. what their next defense is going to be is, of course we colluded with the Russians. Right, and who, of course and who wouldn't? Because we had to stop Hillary Clinton. Right. That's it, that's that's going to be where this goes. Yeah, and it's, it's amazing the degree to which that whole discussion has shifted where, it, you know, no collusion, no collusion, and, and the, we have seen the retrenchment from various previous positions, and now it seems like we're in the middle of a retrenchment to a position of even if there was collusion, there's no problem with it. The the issue, and I, I see the president is tweeting again this morning about no collusion. It this, I mean, I take the point that there is no statute of collusion and that we're talking about other actual potential crimes, conspiracy and all of that. But the fact of the matter is that in those famous emails to Donald Trump Jr. setting up the Trump Tower meeting... Um, the if it's youth, what you say it is, I it, love it. Having been told this is part of Russia and its government's efforts to help your father. So I don't know. I mean, that just seems on its face evidence, at least of a willingness to collude. Yeah. And so it, it will become, mark my words, it will become, yes, we colluded with Russia. Yeah. Yes, we colluded with Russia, but we had to, folks. We mm. had to. We had yeah. to. And the, and the Trump base will be fine with that. Mm. And we've gotten so far away. It's not just about, I think a lot of Democrats freak out about norms and mm. we're not doing things normally. Mm. And like, it's not about the norms. Mm. Like, I, I, I sympathize with those people, but I also, like, I, that bothers me. Honestly, very little, <laughs> truly. But like, to completely convince your base that mm. this was totally okay mm. and totally normal, we've gotten af- away from the fact that this is collusion, mm. treason, which has led to obstruction. Mm. That's a real problem. Mm-hmm. Niall Stanage from the Hill. He is the White House columnist. I, I, I tell you to have a good week, but I can't imagine that it's going to be any less crazy than what we've seen so far in these. Lazy days of August. (laughs) So uh, good luck out there. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you're just catching the show right now, don't forget, we're putting the whole show up in podcast form. You can get it on iTunes. Uh, Make sure you go check that out, subscribe, and leave us a review. We'll be back tomorrow. Have a good day, everybody. This is The Bill Press Show.